Hey, Angela here. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to invite you to join our Substack community, where you'll get more founder profiles, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, first access to all my original work, and access to our community group chat. All you have to do is click the link in the description. I love and appreciate your support. It's awesome to see all your comments, email responses, and reactions. I'm happy to share this journey with you. Thanks for tuning in. As a pro athlete, I dealt with depression. I dealt with, I wanted to kill myself because I didn't start. No joke. Like, man, I, this is my goal. I want to start and I'm not playing and I'm living my dream and it's somewhat hell. We tend to cope in unhealthy ways. So as an athlete, I'm a doer. I'm very physical, right? So when I ran into a wall, I would just double down physically. I'm going to work out more. I'm going to run more. But there comes a point where you're just running yourself into the ground. You're listening to Honey and Hustle, a video podcast that inspires the dreamers, creators, and hustlers to make a business from their passions. I'm Angela Hollowell, and I'm a visual storyteller based in Durham, North Carolina. I sit down with creative entrepreneurs, nonprofit founders, and small business owners as they share their stories, the lessons they've learned throughout their careers, and how they've worked to make a positive impact. I'm here with Wells Thompson. He is one of the founders of Soccer Resilience, an incredible organization here in North Carolina and partially in California as well that focuses on teaching athletes mental robustness and mental resiliency that will help them perform better as athletes on and off the field. Wells, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, absolutely. It's a pleasure, Angela. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So there's, I'm sure, a lot to be discussed today. So we're just going to jump right in and start with kind of your personal transition from not just being a soccer player and an athlete, but now transitioning to being a leader of an organization who was working hand in hand with multiple partners to bring this ethos of resiliency and, and mental toughness in a way that's empathetic and compassionate to soccer players across the country and across the world. So can you talk a little bit, speak a little bit about your journey to making that transition in life? Yeah, for sure. Like the hardest thing that I've ever been through in my life and still continue to go through is the fact that I'm not an athlete anymore. And a huge part of that is the purpose behind soccer resilience. Our very first core value at soccer resilience is more than fill in the blank, more than an athlete. Most of the time we say that because most people know what that means. But really, the first thing we want to do is separate the person from the player, because not only is that healthy in the long run, but we also believe that it'll enhance your performance on the field as well or in whatever you're trying to do. It's extremely personal to me because for 32 years of my life, I only saw myself as a soccer player. And it makes sense, right? Society sees you that way when you're good at something. Like I was at a Bible study last night and um, a friend was introducing me to someone. And of course, they always go, he's a pro. He was a pro athlete. Like he was drafted here, yada, yada. And I said, but I'm more than an athlete, right? And I'm a little bit slow learner. So like the four 32 years of my life, I only saw myself though. I didn't care about school, right? The goal for me was to take soccer as far as I could because I loved it. And I just really didn't have the foresight to understand that hope, God willing, I'm going to be a human being for a lot more years and I'm going to, have, I'm going to be a, a human being that is not playing soccer for a lot more years than a human being who's playing soccer. So for 30 years of my life, I was an athlete, I was a soccer player, and then one day I wasn't. And I really had no idea who the heck I was after that. I was like, God, I'm never going to be involved with soccer again. I don't want anything to do with it. I literally ran away from the game and I told God that. And I think a takeaway is don't tell, never tell God never because I'm back into soccer. But I really just needed to get away from the game to figure out who I was as a person, 
something I'm still continually trying to do, which is why I say it's still a difficult thing for me to do is separate, separate myself from who I was. So yeah, forget the question. What the, was the transition like? It was hell. It sucked. I think that comparing it to, it's not a fair comparison to compare it to people that serve in our military. What we go through is nowhere near what they go through. But I think the analogy serves to prove a point that it's extremely difficult. The way that sports is viewed, especially pro athletes are viewed in the world today makes it very difficult on pros to find their identity outside of the game. And it's really cool to see people like LeBron James and female athletes taking advantage of their platform and understanding that they have the ability to use their platform, not only just for soccer, but to set themselves up for life after separating that more than right, more than an athlete, more than a coach, more than a parent. We aren't our performance at the end of the day. I'm thankful that I got really great people in my life that have helped me through this transition, got a great family, got a great wife. And just remind me that they didn't like me because I played soccer. <laughs> they liked me because of, because of who I was. And, um, yeah, my heart. I think it'll be an ongoing process. Lindsey Vaughn says it best, in my opinion. She said, it's like a death. It's something that I will grieve and mourn for the rest of my life. And I truly believe that. I mean, it's oftentimes I wish I could go back and be, just be a pro athlete anymore. And my wife says, my wife says it best, being a pro athlete is a false sense of reality. And I think a part of that is the world cater to caters to you as a pro athlete. In the real world, it doesn't anymore, right? There's a big difference between being a pro athlete and being a retired athlete. And I want, because I'm a selfish human being, I want the world to cater to me, right? And that's just not the way life is. So I'm really like, soccer resilience for me is turning my pain into purpose. Like it, it's, I played nine years professionally. And so it's actually a huge mindset shift for me to say, I had a good career. I had a good career. And I said that to my wife like six months ago. And she was like, oh my God. That's the first time I've ever heard you say something positive about your career. And I was like, there's just something so wrong with me if I can't play nine years professionally, something that many people don't even get the experience to do for a day and have a grateful attitude for it. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to have a grateful attitude. I appreciate all I've been through and the opportunity that I had just to play a sport that I love for as long as I did. Yeah. So yeah, you've already talked about the mental transformation that you've been going through just as a person. Just saying, okay, this is something that I did and this is something that was a job for me and that I did very well and I enjoyed and I loved and brought me a lot of things in life that I really wanted. But I am not less of me because I am no longer doing that career. I am not, that doesn't change who I am as a person. I still have something to offer this world besides being a soccer player. And as hard as it may be for me to find that, it's worth it for me to find that and to help other people realize that they can do the same and really embody what it means to to be more than an athlete. So I think that's beautiful. I think that's heartbreaking in a way yeah. to realize so viscerally that life is changing and I really do need to start thinking critically about who I am aside from what I do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, I don't think it's possible, yeah. like maybe for some people, but the reality is most transitions are difficult, right? But at the end of the day, they serve and the hard things in life are the good things a lot of times. We tend to live in this fantasy that like, life shouldn't be hard and we shouldn't go through difficult things because life will be better that way. And in reality, the rain, like we, we appreciate the sun so much more when we experience the rain, right? Like we go through valleys and when we appreciate the good times way more, 
when we go through the difficult things. And I don't think that we would be able to appreciate them that much if we didn't go through those things. As I look back on, I'm thankful for it. I've learned a lot through the process. And at the end of the day, that's what I'm trying to keep, keep a focus on. Yeah. So let's go back to something that you said when you were talking about, you mentioned LeBron and certain other athletes that were doing a lot of work now, very visibly to distinguish themselves as people outside of being a basketball player and being an athlete. And I think I read this on Twitter somewhere. It's like now we're in a space where all our jobs require us to be creators or entrepreneurs. Like they require us to be more than just like the person that shows up, does the job and leaves. And I think that can be a catch 22 because the reality is we've always been more than than that right? yeah. <laughs> we've always been more than people who do jobs but now i think we're in a space where it's more accepted and even encouraged for it to be visible that you are trying to make a life for yourself outside of what you do so when it comes to soccer resilience and the work that you guys do with players and coaches and things like that what are some of the things that you try to instill in them about the mental or the mindset that they have to have in order yes. to really work on themselves off the field. I ask you this, and this is a question we ask every single person that we work with, right? There is no right or wrong answer, but if you could put a number to it, Angela, what percentage of sport and life do you think stems from the mind? 100%. 100%. Okay, so... 100%. Yeah, it's a big percentage, right? And so whatever you believe, and the, the reason why we say there is no right or wrong answer, because it's subjective. It really is what you believe. But the point is, 99.5% of people we ask say 70% or higher, right? And then usually our follow-up mm. question is, what are you doing to address your beliefs? And people aren't doing anything. And so this is, for me, like as a pro athlete of nine years, right? We had acupuncturists, needlers, masseuses, cuppers, ice by specialists, dietitians, physical therapists, regular doctors, but not someone who you said accounts for 100% of sport and life. So I'm looking back going, oh my gosh, how did I miss this, right? It's not a funny story. It's funny now, but like when I was in Colorado in 2011, our head coach had a relationship with a sports psychologist. And so he offered everybody on the team one free session. So I went, I knew I needed help. I was struggling at the time and I went, you know, why I didn't go back because I'm an idiot. Why? I'm a big idiot. I had to pay 7,500 bucks. Yeah. That's so stupid. This is my career. This is an investment. And I just didn't have the understanding yeah. or I had wrong misconceptions about what mental training was. Like my idea was like, Hey, you go in a dark room, you try to think about nothing for an hour and then you come out. Maybe you turn on some incense, some melodic music, you hum, you put your fingers like this, and that's how you train your brain, right? <laughs> um, but now there's a lot of, I'm realizing now that there are a lot of practical, tangible things that you can do, right? Like your breath, right? I didn't know as a pro athlete that if you breathe through your nose, like we were created to breathe through our nose. And when we breathe through our nose, we get 20% more nitric oxide to our brain. So nitric oxide is like the greatest thing that our brain needs, right? It lowers our blood pressure, helps us sleep better, increases the oxygen intake to the brain. But I didn't know this as a pro athlete, right? So there's a lot of practice. I'm learning now. There's a lot of practical, tangible things that you can do to combat the constant of life, which is stress, adversity, challenge, right? Because we're all going to go through. We will never get rid of that stuff, but we can improve our resilience to them. It's why this. It's why two people go through the same thing and one of them can't recover from it and the other one can, right? And there's a lot of things, variables that play into this, 
But for me, I'm looking back going, oh my gosh, I can't believe I missed this boat. Because as a pro athlete, I dealt with depression. I dealt with, I wanted to kill myself because I didn't start. No joke. Like, man, I, this is my goal. I want to start and I'm not playing and I'm living my dream and it's somewhat hell. We tend to cope in unhealthy ways. So as an athlete, I'm a doer. I'm very physical, right? So when I ran into a wall, I would just double down physically. I'm going to work out more. I'm going to run more. But there comes a point where you're just running yourself into the ground, right? So you look for other ways to cheat. So I developed an eating disorder because I was struggling mentally and I wasn't getting the, the right nutrients for my body, right? I was looking for other ways to cut corners. And so like soccer resilience for me is don't make the same mistake I made, right? And regardless of Nelson Mandela said it, and this is the core philosophy of our organization. He goes, I don't know, have you ever heard this quote? Sport is the greatest opportunity to change the world. And he goes on, I encourage whoever's watching this or you as well, Angel, if you've never read the full quote, he goes on to say, sport has the ability to break down barriers better than the government. Like just read the full quote. It's absolutely amazing. So we believe that, like we believe that this not only enhances performance, but absolutely increases your overall health and well-being for life, right? Because we see the stats, 5% of youth athletes are going to play in college. So the question we ask ourselves is, what about the 95%? Sport for us is just the tool that we use to help people, right? And so when you look at, there's something to be said for timing in a business. And we were started during COVID. So COVID has essentially helped our business a little bit. And during COVID, you've seen schools and organizations, nonprofits ramp up their resilience programs, right? We're already in a 50, 60 year upswing of anxiety, depression, suicide, and then a global pandemic, something we've never seen in our lives comes and it just in increases that. And so we're like challenging youth clubs to go, most kids would rather learn this stuff with you, with a ball at their feet, as opposed to sitting in a classroom learning from their teacher. We wish we wasn't that way. We wish all kids would love school, but it's not the reality. So we just believe there's a massive opportunity for youth organizations, regardless of what sport it is, to teach kids life lessons. And so oftentimes as human beings, we want to overcomplicate things, right? We say mental or we say mindset, but really it's just teaching them life lessons. Hey, we were created this way, right? For a reason, because the number one goal of our brain is to keep us alive, which produces in us a lot of things that sometimes aren't good, but keeps us alive. And so we learn about those things and we learn practical ways to combat them. And yeah, so it's been a, it's been a fun, challenging. It's very hard to run a business. I tell you that talk about transition. Like my wife is the boss. She and her twin sister, they, you should interview them, but they own a marketing agency in Raleigh called Angel of Creative and they market just for nonprofits. And so I've seen them build this company it just celebrated 10 years, which is a credible feat, by the way. But before I started soccer resilience, so the previous eight years, I watched them being like, why are they complaining? Just do it this way. Oh my gosh, this is so easy, right? And then I started business. I'm like, this is it. There's no roadmap. It's the wild west. It's not like a 10 point plan you can follow to create. So it's been a challenge, but one I've thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. I like how you put that out there. There's no 10 point plan. So <laughs> oh, <there laughs> give, it was. Uh, give it to me, please. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're trying to do here. We, I definitely don't have all the answers, but I did want to touch on two things that are happening in the world and I guess in pop culture today, one of which is at this time of recording, the World Cup is happening right now. Yeah. And there have been 
uh, obviously a lot of conversations about, you know, who people's favorite teams are and like where their loyalties lie, but also the importance of where it is currently being hosted, right? Because the reality is people's viewpoints and people's accessibility to different cultural experience does largely depend on where you are in the world, right? One thing that's come up is, uh, of course, like, how there are a lot of African-American players that aren't playing, or not African-American players, African players that aren't playing on African teams. And then the fact that because it's not being held in somewhere like the United States or Britain, it's more accessible. People can go a lot easier. Like it's a lot easier for them to give the necessary travel documents to go and experience and root for their team, right? So there's two things at play here, and this happens outside the World Cup, right? Um, but now you have all these people from all these different countries and cultures on the world stage now, being exposed to different points of view and sometimes um, detrimental points of view, like racism, like anti-Semitism, like all these other things that affect your ability to focus on the game as a player, right? Especially if you've never experienced them before on the level that you are going to be now, right? And so I think there's something to be said, going back to Nelson Mandela's quote about like how sports can bring people together in ways government can't. Nobody's asking the government for permission to go root for their team. You know what I'm saying? You can screw me over 99 days. I have 100 of the last days I've been on this earth. But when my team is going to the freaking World Cup, I'm going to fucking support them. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going to hang out with somebody from freaking Germany. I'm going to do whatever I want to do and meet other people. And so I think there's something to be said for the fact that, like, in large part, being an athlete exposes you to other people and other places and other ways of life and can also be a source of challenging your view on like yourself and on the way you live and on the way you think. And is that something that you guys address when it comes to mental resilience and just like life lessons? Like how do you receive different points of feedback at different points in your athletic career? Yeah, for sure. Uh, first of all, FIFA is corrupt and they've well documented how corrupt they are with that much money and that much power. It's just it's sad to say, but like it's there, right? It's, it, I don't know why it's in Qatar. I can't tell you. I think it's ridiculous that it's there. So I think like when the older I get, the more like you want to peel back the curtains and find out why people do the things they do, right? And so when you do that with me, you'll find that my faith, although I'm a very, I'm a jacked up human being, right? Like I'm the first to raise my hand and say, I'm screwed up. I need help. I've been in counseling since I'm 14 years old. And I'm like, we all need it. We're all jacked up individuals, right? But my faith plays into who I am as a man, my upbringing, my parents. I love Jesus. And in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, I believe it's that verse says, to whom much is given, much is expected. So all this ties into your question and also ties into the formation of soccer resilience in the work that we're doing, especially within women's soccer, okay? And I'm going to share some things that are extremely vulnerable and embarrassing, but they're, it's me and it's raw and it's authentic. I'm a rich white dude in America. It doesn't matter how much money I have in my bank account. I come from a great family, right? Like I'm wealthy. Well, first of all, like I've been to very impoverished places. I know that I'm part of the 1%, right? Based on my wealth, right? In the world. And I believe that wasn't given to me just for my own benefit, right? But to the benefit of other people, right? And so... I came to really know Jesus and start following him when I was a junior in college. And so when I became a pro athlete, I knew that was my platform. I want to share Jesus and who he was and what he believed in and what he stood for. And I just want to love other people as well. And so when I retired, 
Um, like I had to find that different platform, right? And so I found it at work, right? And I believe that outside of your immediate family, your work is the greatest opportunity to change the world for good, right? Because you think about it. I have three kids and I have my wife and I spend more time at work than I do with my family. So outside of my immediate family, which hopefully I'm influencing my house, I go to work every day and the people I meet every day, I can influence them, right? And so that's my greatest opportunity. And so I knew that like when I retired, I was, I'd got a sales job and I was traveling the country and I started like every other week I was gone. I was just start having kids. And so I was like, man, what do I want to do in my life? What is success? Do I want to sacrifice time with my family to like go do something I was doing? I was like, ultimately, no. So I started learning about the greatest transition of wealth in the history of the world, $17 trillion changing hands from baby boomers, 50% of small businesses in the U.S. were run by baby boomers. And so my goal was to, I was, I, I, I my wife, I said, babe, would you give me permission? Cause I, I don't pretend here. My wife is the boss and she tells me what to do. But I said, when you give me permission, I want to leave my job and I want to go buy businesses and I want to go run them for the glory of God. I want to hire refugees and immigrants. I want to hire second chancers or ex-cons. I say second chancers because I don't like to label them as ex-cons, but like second chancers, give them another opportunity to work. And I really see that from my upbringing, my faith, and also what soccer gave me. The greatest thing soccer ever gave me was it introduced me to people from all over the world and took me to places all over the world. In the words of the, if not one of the greatest philosophers in the world, Matthew McConaughey, a well-worn passport is a sign of a well-lived life. And so I've seen the world, I've traveled the world and opened my eyes to the plight of people and also the great responsibility that I feel like I have to use what God has given me to bless other people, right? I know, I know, this is getting really good. But I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you. Thank you so much for watching and listening to the show whether you're a day one fan or day 100 fan, I'm so glad that you found Honey and Hustle and have decided to stick along for the ride. As a thank you, I wanted to give you a little gift that this show has so graciously given me. The ability to continue to connect with thought leaders, industry leaders, business owners, and other entrepreneurs, no matter where I am. Link offers a digital business card that is a natural extension of my website and social media platforms that allows me to easily send people to strategic landing pages so they can learn a little bit more about me, the resources I offer, and how we can continue to stay connected. When you click the link below in the description, you'll get 15% off any of their wearables, phone taps, and hopefully the last physical business card you'll ever need. When you do this, I get a little percentage back at no extra cost to you, which helps me continue to host guests and industry leaders so they can give you advice and help you crush the hustle. Thank you so much again for supporting the show and our show sponsor, Link. All right, let's get back into it. People ask me like, you, and I said in the beginning of the podcast, I never want to get back into soccer. I'm back in soccer and it's really who I am as a person. And me and Dr. Brad connect and he's really the original like founder of Soccer Resilience. He's a clinical psychologist at, in California and he played awake and struggled with performance anxiety. And then we had, we found a coach, his name's Matt Spear, another white dude. And we're like, we're three white guys. This is not the company that we set out to build. Like we, I believe in diversity. I don't only believe in it as something I want. I believe in it as, as something I need to create the organization and the impact that we want to create, right? There's something so beautiful about differences within people, right? I have no idea what it's like to not be white and not be a male, right? So if we want to have the greatest impact that we can have 
on our on the world, we've got to find people that can speak to those audience and know them. So we brought in Jessica McDonald. If she was at the time was a current player for the North Carolina Courage. If you've never heard of her, Google her. She has one of the most incredible stories in my life. If she has one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard in my life. Believable. First mom in the MSL, working second jobs at Amazon just so she could play professionally and provide for her son. Absolutely unbelievable. And meeting her was embarrassing. This is an embarrassing admission. Was really, Angela, the first time I started thinking about women's rights. Very first time, mm. right? Here she is, a pro player. She won a World Cup. She won two national titles at North Carolina. She won three national titles in NWSL, the highest pro league in the world, possibly. And she's working second jobs at Amazon just to make ends meet for her and her son. Like unbelievable, right? Like resilience epitomized, right? And so what we did, and this is where the messy part comes in, right? Because it is easy to have these ideals and these visions and these thoughts, but to live them out it's not as clean as we think them up in our heads, right? So our goal is we want Jessica McDonald and company. We want her to have equal say within what we do. So essentially what we did was we gave her a quarter of our company and said, you know, yeah, literally. We, and part of this is a little bit of our naivety and inexperience in business, right? We gave her a quarter of our company. We're like, we don't just want you. We need you to do what we want to do. And so what we ended up finding out was it wasn't a good fit. Right. And so this is where not only you got to marry wisdom and experience with like your heart's desire, because a heart's desire was like, we need this in our company. We want it to be diverse. Um, but, but doing a little more vetting out. And it was nothing to do with Jess, nothing to do with us. It was just was she's still playing soccer in a career. She couldn't give us the time that we needed. And so gr she graciously gave her portion of the company back as well as another partner of ours. And so now it was difficult, right, to go through because we saw the vision of what this could potentially do and how she could help us get her message out and how we could help her and that sort of thing. So really, at the end of the day, like, we have two choices. We can say, we'll just keep it the way things are with me, Brad, and, and John, our, our third um, founder. Or we can say, let's go back to the drawing board and let's see if we can find other women to help us carry on our message to do what we're doing. And that's currently what we're doing. And the point of what I'm saying is like, we believe a sport is the greatest opportunity to change the world. And that's what we're trying to do. And so whatever sphere, industry, niche that you find yourself in, mine just happens to be soccer. We believe there's a bigger purpose than making money, right? We believe it's about significance, not about success. And yes, we have to have money. It's the lifeblood in our business. But at the end of the day, the why of what we do is not just to make money and to fill our pockets, but it's to create a more equitable, fair world, right? And to have a more diverse organization because not just because we want it, but because stats show that organizations that have that produce and perform much better than those who don't. So look, again, I understand who I am. I'm a rich white dude in America and the world is for me. And I wanna use that and leverage that to the freaking T to help other people. Yeah, so let's dive deeper into that concept of what makes a good partnership, right? Because I think in the case that you're talking about with Jessica, it's like, okay, she's a great person, great story, great athlete, great mental ability to contribute what we need, but it's just not the right time in her life. 
for her to do this. And that also has to be taken into consideration. And even when she retires from the game, she has a family. So what does that look like for her? You know, yeah. what is that time commitment look like? What are her priorities then, right? Priorities may change. So for you moving forward, because you not only have co-founders, but you also have ambassadors that, yeah. And sorry to interrupt you. Like I, the, what I want to communicate very clearly is that the blame is on me, really. Like it was my fault that things didn't work out. I think if there was more experience within the business world, I would have seen the signs before that. And I've also would have taken things slowly. There, there's, there's something to be said about just taking your time, not rushing. And I rushed a lot of it, which may, which no doubt probably affected Jess and how things operated. So I just want to make it very clear. Like I take responsibility for that. I don't want to put any of that on Jess. She's an absolute incredible human being. Google her. She's, she'll blow your world away. Yeah. To that point, before I go back to my question, it's like, that's life. That's business. Like sometimes, you know, I think a lot of business owners can relate. We get so excited about an idea and so excited about a vision and we have the time, energy, capacity to pursue it. And we're just, we're ready to go all in right now. Yeah. I want it right now. But that's just that sometimes that works for people. You, know, you hear stories all the time. I grew my business to X amount in three years and that's great, but that's not everybody's story. That's not the majority of people's story, yeah. right? Yeah. Not every partnership just pops off the first time you try it. So I think, yes, like I appreciate you taking responsibility and accountability for the part that you played in that. But the reality is you can only beat yourself up so much about that because it happens. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's, you would also have regrets if you didn't try it all. Right. So it's all, it's, it's a part of your learning process and growing process as an entrepreneur. Yeah. So I don't, I personally don't fault you for that, you know, going towards partnerships again. And then again, like if this hadn't fallen through and not worked out, you wouldn't know how to approach things differently the second time around as you're looking to pursue adding that diversity, that needed diversity to your team. Yep. And so when it comes to the ambassadors that you have and even the um, player and team and coach and like youth sports partnerships that your uh, soccer resilience has right now, what are some ways that you approach that in terms of like the conversation? Because it wasn't like you went out and you said, you know what? I need to work with black people and we're only going to work with that's not the definition of diversity yeah. either you're like i want to make the best well-rounded inclusive organization that i can and reach the most people in the most authentic way that i can so what is your approach now to developing partnerships for soccer resilience yeah it's a good question i think that life is you live and you learn and you just said it. And so I have very high expectations of myself. I just think about to the things that I struggle with as a pro athlete didn't leave me when I wasn't a pro athlete anymore. I still struggle with them. And the thing about the mental side of the game, like Angela, I could say, Hey, go out and ne the next 365 days, just do suicides for 30 minutes. You'll be pretty fit at the end of the year. Right. But because we're all unique in how we were created and no two minds are the same, oftentimes in the mental side of things, what works for some doesn't work for others, right? Give you an example, like mantras, right? Like I have a little mantras sheet on my wall right here that I repeat like every morning and at nights. Some people are like, that's stupid. I, I don't, it doesn't work for me. So really at the end of the day, what we're encouraging people to do is figure out what works for you and take your game and your life into your own hands. Right. Like one of the things I did, and I'm going to get back to your partnership question, but one of the things I did was like, and we're, we're constantly communicating this to our kids just because Wells Thompson says something, please don't believe it. Figure it out for yourself because I've been known to be wrong once or twice in my life. You know what I mean? And plus, like, 
I think people want to come to their own conclusions and people want, that's like the only sticks. Like I know this for myself, right? And that's why I'm so passionate about what I do because I know this for myself. I've been on the side where it's like, man, I'm really struggling. I've also been on the side where I have learned some really cool tools. It's not that I don't have all the answers and I haven't got it. I still struggle every day. I see a therapist every week because life is freaking bananas, right? And it's hard and we never know what's going to present to us. So I think that the greatest predictor of resilience is community, is relationships. And the at the end of the day, the currency of life is people, is relationships. So here's my philosophy is you find people that are values aligned, have your values, right? What you're striving to do in this world. Hopefully they're way smarter than you. And that's like a that's like a piece of advice that's thrown around all the time. Don't be the smartest person in the room. I don't want to be the smartest person in the room. Everyone wants to be the smartest person in the room. Most people do, right? Because it makes them feel better. But and it's very uncomfortable not to be the smartest person in the room. But that's what I've tried to do is just put myself, surround myself with really smart people. And so hopefully all this ties together. But I'm gonna go back to my upbringing again. Like when I tell my story, Angela, like when I like replayed in my head after I tell my story about what happened, how I became a pro, like I think about how much it makes it sound like I did it. Like I'm the one that did all this stuff, right? Like I tell you the reality of it is I did everything in my life to screw up my life. And God just kept, continued to bring me through. And like, I'm like, holy cow, why, how did this work out this way? And then also I go back to my family. I've got the greatest parents in the world. They've always been there for me. They love me for who I am. I've had some unbelievable coaches and mentors in my life that have just poured in me, right? They said, Wells, I believe in you. You're not acting you're like, I don't like what you're doing, but man, there's God's got great things for you and just have poured into me. So I just, I think that's a huge part of success and partnerships. And so just finding people that are values aligned, um, that care more about, that believe there's more than making a dollar right? And want to use what they're doing to love and lift up other people. I think communication is a massive skill, like one of the greatest skills that anybody can have. So communicating clearly, which I obviously am still working on because sometimes I don't communicate clearly and I just ramble. Communicate clearly and making sure that expectations are aligned. And I think if you look at what we were hoping with Jess, they weren't clear expectations. And I would encourage just like, as someone who really didn't care, I don't think I read a full book till after college because I was just so focused on soccer. Really, I think that the more that you can learn and grow, like ABL, always be learning, like always read, right? They're great things, like growth mindset, right? Like literally, like there's so much out there to learn. And so the more that you can just have that growth mindset attitude, Carol Dweck wrote a great book called Growth Mindset. It actually revolutionized Dr. Brad Miller, my business partner's whole practice, right? It's just the fact that we can do anything we put our mind to if we do it with hard work and try different strategies. And so carrying that into our practice with people, right? Continue to learn about how to be a leader and how to communicate. I'll tell you what I've learned a whole lot is that they don't teach you how to lead, right? Think about this in the athletic world. Because I was the best player in the majority of my teams growing up, that made me the captain. I was the leader. But I wasn't taught how to lead. I was just the best player, right? Which actually, when you think about it in the corporate world, the sales guy is the best sales guy becomes the sales manager. He doesn't know how to lead people and just knows how to sell, right? So studying leadership and understanding that leader, 
we all have leadership and influence over other people, but there's good or bad leadership, right? And that leadership is unsexy. It's dirty. It's hard. There is no 10 point plan. So I think that the greatest way to influence a relationship or a partnership is coming in with an open mind and really focusing on how you can make that relationship successful, right? How you can serve the other person. And again, I'm a screwed up individual. I often don't practice what I preach, but I'm trying to. Uh, servant leadership is one of our core values at Soccer Jose. And so that's, we believe serving is the best way to lead other people, right? We want to serve. We want to go out of the way. And in doing that, no longer are we helping other people, we're differentiating ourselves as a business. Yeah, I know you've probably heard this analogy so many times that you don't want to hear it anymore. And I'm going to say it anyway. Have you seen Ted Lasso? Yes. On Apple TV? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So one thing I like about that show, first of all, I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did awesome. because yeah. I'm not super into soccer, but like the show itself embodies a lot about what you're talking about. The man couldn't play soccer to save his life, but he was an incredible coach. He had some like the guy, Jamie, who was like, you know, one of the worst people who grew a lot of the show, which is great, but he was technically their best player. He wasn't the coach because he wasn't a leader. He was selfish with the ball. He was selfish with his time. He was selfish with his actions. For a lot of the show. So to your point, being the best doesn't make you the best fit to net, to lead. And that's also in life too with businesses when we try to make that transition to being someone who does something really good, someone who runs a business that does something really good. It's like, yeah, I can do this one thing really well. I can play soccer really well. That doesn't mean that I need to own a soccer team. I can make videos really well. That doesn't mean I know how to lead a crew into making a video really well. So really evaluating where our strengths and weaknesses are as people is really important too and in cultivating our leadership style and how we can best serve our team. Like what is the best way I can help people is really probably the best way to start when you're thinking about leading and also just developing a mindset of being in community with people yeah. in a way that, that helps you mentally and makes you a good fit for a team. What you said there is extremely important because as I said earlier, before COVID, we're already in this 40, 50 year upswing of depression, anxiety, suicide, loneliness. And then COVID hits. And then we have these things that we're all addicted to. And it just like loneliness, I think, is we are the most connected we've ever been in the history of the world. And we're the most lonely people we've ever been in the history of the world. Right. So it's sad to say, but it's something. And this is, again, goes back to the misconceptions of mindfulness. Right. It's like me by myself breathing or humming or yodeling, whatever it is by myself inside my head. Right. And if someone goes, what's the greatest advice that you can give to help my mental health? I go exercise. Right. Because it's you don't take your brain out and like hook it up to electrodes while your body's over here. Like your body and your brain affect each other. It's a symbiotic relationship. So go exercise, right? Because doing that's going to help clear the brain. And then I go, get with some good people. Find your tribe. Find people that are going to love you and fill you with goodness, right? Stay off this thing for the love of God. Stay off your phone and touch somebody and hug them and be with them and see their face. Oh, man, you just can't overstate the, that impact. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And I appreciate you taking the time to be here with me today. Everything you said was just so vulnerable, so raw, so real, but just so needed to hear for entrepreneurs who are probably in the same position or going through the same thing. And they're like, am I crazy? Am I the only one who thinks like this? Am I the only one who's finding this hard? I think it's necessary to hear the raw side of making that transition to being a leader and whatever that means for you. And especially working with a team and working with other people 
and realizing that sometimes even when we have the best of intentions, we don't always get it right. But that's a part of the game. That's a part of growing and learning and being. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that with us. You got it. And one thing just to add to that is like we always, when we do presentations, I like to ask, hey, raise your hand if you want to play in college. Everybody raises their hand, right? And then I go, raise your hand if you want to play pro. Everybody raises their hand. And then we have these pros on these presentations. If we get to the end of the presentation, I go, who has questions for these pros that we're bringing on? And nobody raises their hand to ask a question. And I'm going, oh my God, this is ridiculous. You want to go to where these people currently are and you don't have a question for them, right? I just think that successfully clues. And if you want to go somewhere, find someone who's been there and done it and pick their brain and talk to them, ask questions. So like, well, how that translates to being a business owner is one thing I suck at is asking for help. But I got to drop my pride and I got to ask for help. So finding a mentor, right? Find somebody that's, that cares about you, that, that knows a thing or two, right? Is probably a little bit older than you and has been where you want to go so that they can share what they've been through, right? Because why learn it for yourself when you can just learn from someone else who's had to go through it themselves? So I'd like yeah, to pick your yeah, brain yeah, another time about your business thoughts because I need them all the time. Yeah. Yeah, happy to do it. Happy to do it. One thing my mom always said that I thought was hilarious: she'd be like, "You don't have to hit your head to see if it hurt. You can ask somebody else who's hit their head. Well, you know, you don't have to like make the same mistakes. There's other people that just have made them and learned from them. You don't have to do that." And that was her way of saying, "Get better at asking for help." Because I also had that struggle. Okay, yeah, maybe I need to ask somebody. Maybe I need to slow down and just think this through a little bit more. But, yeah, that's, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, steal that and use whole that. conversation. Like you that. tell your mom I'm gonna steal that yeah. and use it all the time now. <laughs> I will. She'll be happy. She'll. Be, she's probably listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to you later. I appreciate you coming on that's today. Awesome. Thank you so much, Angela. Take care.